as I was preparing this, uh, this message or sermon or whatever you want to call it, I looked at, at James 5, 1 through 12, and like I said, we're just going to read 1 through 11, but, but it, it almost seemed like um, th- that we had two sermons, all right, that, 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 that 1 through 6 should have been one thing, and uh, 7 through 11 should have been something completely different. But as I read it and talked with Cliff and, and, and Donnie and Chris and whatnot, um, th- th- this works together so well. But that being said, I'm just going to start by reading verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If it's not, it will be on the screen. Um, and if you're wondering why it sounds different, it's because I read out of the ESV. So let's, uh, let, let's read verses 1 through 6 here. Come now, you rich, you rich, excuse me, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, I, I, I read that, and it almost feels like it's out of place. All right, It almost feels like this should be in, in, in Daniel, or in Isaiah, or Hezekiah, or Ezekiel. Like This seems like Old Testament prophet. All right, James... We, we call him, we're calling this straight talk. He straight up drops the hammer on, on a group of people here. And he's speaking out against um, the rich people. And he says, weep and howl. Weep and howl because your clothes that, that, that make you feel so good, that they're just going to rot away. They're, they're not going to be in style anymore. They're going to get old. They're gonna get, you're going to get holes in the knees, which maybe you like that, but eventually you, you'll hate it. He says that, that, that your clothes will, will, will rot, your, your gold and silver will corrode. The, the money that you've stored up just isn't going to be worth as much as it once was. That, that sounds kind of familiar, right? That sounds like a modern day problem, right? Everybody thinks that they got so much money in their retirement fund and then one day stock market crashes, they look and they're like, ah, you know, they get scared because the, they thought they had this money and then they just don't. Or like we think that, we, that we're saving up all this money and maybe now our money's just not, as worth, not worth as much as we thought it was going to be worth, right? And so uh, James says, like, be, beware of that. Like, your money, it's going to fail you. Your, your, your clothes, that's going to fade away. James um, is speaking out against rich people. Now, let me, let me clarify here. Um, he, he's more, so, more, than, more than talking about rich people, because I don't think that, that James is saying, hey, if you're rich, you're a sinner, all right? Some of you are like, Phew. I don't have to do that because I'm not rich. But like, so, uh, James is not saying that, that if you have money, that that's a bad thing. James is, is specifically speaking out against people uh, who, who they find their, their, their worth, they find their security, they find their, 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 their value, their hope, their joy, and the things that they own. James is talking about people who have fallen in love with their money. Now, having money is not, not a bad thing. Loving your money, on the other hand, is, is a bad thing. First Timothy 6.10 says that uh, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
So James isn't, isn't speaking out against people who just have money. He's talking about people who love their money. All right? Having money is not a sin. Loving your money leads to sin, right? And let's just be honest. If you're somebody out there who you find your security, like, like just having all this money in the bank, that, ma- that makes you feel secure. And if you didn't have that money in the bank, you, would, you, don't, know, you don't know what you would do. Like if your, uh, your, your brand new car or your brand new house or your nice clothes and the status that that brings, like if that's what you find your joy in, if that's what you find um, the most pleasure in, if that's what brings you the, the greatest sense of worth, then, then maybe those things are an idol in your life. Maybe that has become your God. Because, I mean, let's just be honest, if something is more important to you I mean, God, like, because would it be the end of the world if we didn't have money? Answer is no. Um, if we look for, for our worth, if we look for our security in anything besides God, then, then we're worshiping that. And none of us would say, hey, yeah, yeah, I, I really, I, I worship my money. I, I worship the car that I drive. I worship my status. I worship the way that people look. We don't say that. But sometimes we do it. And the Bible's clear. Don't bow down to idols. Don't have any gods before me. Is what, uh, that's the first and second commandment. And so James here, he's not speaking, he's not just saying, hey look, if you're rich, then you're a terrible person. He's saying, if you love your money, then you've got your priorities mixed up. If your life is all about pursuing wealth, pursuing things, then, then, then your priorities are messed up. So, so he speaks out against the rich, and then he starts speaking out against people who have gotten rich dishonestly, holding back wages, not paying people that they should be paying. Maybe they're cheating on their taxes. Maybe they got some shady business deals, cooking the books, whatever. James is, is uh, he, he speaks out against all of this, but I think kind of an interesting thing about this passage is that he doesn't ever call anybody to repentance. He doesn't say, hey, you rich people who all you, all you care about is your money, all you care about is your stuff. You, you need to quit. He doesn't say that. See, because I think that when, when James is in, in, in this passage of Scripture, um, that yeah, he, he's speaking to rich people, but he's also speaking to those of us who aren't so rich. Right? Because um, the grass is greener on the other side. We, we've heard that. And, and, and where rich people, they, they, they've, got all, they've, they've got all that they, can, they could ever want. They, they can buy whatever. But then the rest of us, maybe not so rich people, and I use that term because, come on, like we're like me, I make more money than, than most of the world makes in a year. Uh, and I'm, in, in, in America, I'm not rich by any means. But, but uh, the, 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 it, it's easy for us to look out and to say, if I just had a little bit more money coming in every month, I could get out of debt. I could be more generous with my money. Uh, me and my wife, we wouldn't fight so much about that. Uh, we could help somebody out. Like these aren't bad. We could go on vacation. Not bad things. But let's be honest. If you had just a little bit more money coming in every month, you probably want just a little bit more money coming in every month. James says that, that chasing after that, like to the rich people, don't trust in, in, in your money. Don't trust in your possessions because it's going to fail you. To those of you who don't have as much, 
Don't look at them and envy them. Don't want what they have because in the end, that stuff's just going to fail them. It'll fail you too. If that's what you're looking to, f- to fulfill your life, then you're wasting your time. So James gives us what we should do instead in verse 7 and 8. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James, um, he, he, he starts this chapter by warning the rich, by warning the not-so-rich, like don't trust in, in earthly things. Don't look just to make money. Don't look just to fulfill yourself. Like that's, that, that brings a false sense of security. Instead, what we need to do is to be patient and wait. To be patient and wait. He uses a farming analogy. And, and just to kind of give you a little insight on this, because um, I, I looked this up, uh, the area that, 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 that James is talking about is in Palestine. And basically what they would do is they would plant in the fall and they would harvest in the springtime. Okay? And, and during that time, 75% of the rain happened from December to February. 75% of the rain in, in this, what, six, seven months happened between uh, December and February. But the farmers knew that in order for their crop to not only survive, but in order for their crop to, to, to flourish, they had to plant the seed early enough to get the early rains at the beginning of fall. And they had to, to, to let it be, not, not, not get antsy and pick it early. They had to wait until the, the, last rain, the, the, the late rains in the spring. See, he says that we have to be patient. Be patient. Like, you aren't rich? Okay. Just be patient. Don't, don't just pursue those. Be patient. Wait. Like, things are going bad in your life. Like, everything seems to be piling up on one another. Just be patient. Wait on the Lord. And then what he says, and, and I love this, and, and this is what I want you to get. Don't miss this. This is probably the most important thing that I'm saying. He says, establish your hearts. He says, be patient and establish your hearts. You see, I, I looked up the word establish to kind of get an idea of what that might really mean. Uh, and the, the first definition that I came to said, uh, to set up something on a, on a firm or permanent basis. Like, like, we need to set up our faith in Christ, our belief, our love on a permanent basis. It can't be something that's loosely planted. It can't be something that we, that we set up and tear down on a weekly... Like every week we come here to church. And because of the, the nature of how things go, we've got to set this stuff up. Like all the screens, all the music, all the sound stuff. We set this up every week. We set up all the children's stuff every week and then we tear it down afterwards. Like it's fine for our church to be that way. But you in your own personal life, your heart cannot be like that. James says, establish your hearts. Another definition that I read for that um, in plants, which I think this is beautiful. It's exactly what we're talking about. In, in plants, to establish means to take root and grow. We need to establish our hearts. Like, if we're loosely planted in, in church, you know, just come every once in a while. You put on your, put on your church clothes whenever you come. And then you leave and you're just like, I don't need this anymore for the rest of the week. And then you come back, you're like, oh, I need, I need to put on my church clothes for church on Sunday. 
if we're just loosely planted in, in church, in religion, then it's easy for us to fall away. And Jesus talks about it in Mark 4, the parable of the sower. He says that, that, a, that, the, that the seed fell among the rocks and it, didn't, it couldn't grow down because there, there wasn't enough soil and so it sprang up quickly. And the sun came out and scorched the plant. And Jesus says that that person is somebody who hears the gospel and they get excited about the gospel, but then whenever times get tough, they fall away. James says, establish your hearts. If we don't establish our hearts, whenever things get tough, a family member dies, you lose a job, you, you find out that your, that your kid is doing drugs, or you find out that your teenage son has gotten his girlfriend pregnant or something like that. Like, we, we, if we aren't firmly planted in Jesus... It's easy for us just to walk away. So James says, be patient. Establish your hearts. It means to grow towards Christ. That's the language that we use around here. Grow towards Christ. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. And let me, let me just, we could talk about what it means to grow towards Christ for, for weeks on end. But let me just oversimplify things for you. To, growing towards Christ is falling more in love with Jesus on a daily basis. It's speaking with him regularly. It's hearing from him. It's thinking about God. It's considering what Jesus would want us to do in our daily lives. It's learning about him. You can read this, you know. Just growing towards Christ is falling in love with him more and more. And so James says, be patient and establish your hearts. Be patient and establish your hearts. Um, and, and then he, and he gets specific on something that, that, that he wants us to do. Verse 9. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, luckily for us, it, it, apparently in the first century, uh, there were some people in the church who were grumbling against one another, talking badly about other people in the church. Now, luckily, James, in the first century, told, told everybody, hey, look, you don't, need, like, you don't need to be talking junk about the other people at church, all right? So, so they heard that, and they nipped it in the bud immediately. We've never had anyone since then in the church talking about anybody else ever, all right? That, that um, is clearly not true. Uh, James says, don't grumble against one another. Like, why, like, we don't have the right, you are not in the position to judge somebody else. He says that, that, behold, the judge is standing at the door. And I think what that means is that, hey, you might walk out your door today and die. Like, <laughs> you, you want to, like, you, your, your, your life is, is, like what Donnie talked about last week, it's a mist. You're here one second and you're gone the next. It might be right now that you just dropped dead. Or now? Nobody? I'd feel bad if somebody died right now. Right? But, but he, says, he says that the judge is standing at the door. You're just a mist. It, your life is here and then it's done. You've got no place to grumble against somebody else. But isn't that just the easy thing to do? Just, it's just so much easier just to talk about how much you just don't like them. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe we grumble against them because we don't like them. Maybe it's because we're jealous of them. Maybe it's because 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. We, it, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Maybe it's all three. But he says, he says, don't grumble against one another. You've got no right to. And instead, we look back at what he says in verse eight: be patient. Establish your heart. Be patient. Establish your heart. Don't worry about their sin and what's going on in, in their life. All right, God sees it. God knows how they're sinning. He also knows how you're sinning, right? So, so don't grumble against one another. So how do we, how do, we do this? James says uh, in verse 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James says here, um, as an example of suffering and patience, this points back to James chapter 1, all right, where, where James says in, in James 1, let me just read it, uh, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All right, he's pointing back to that. I think that too often we forget that James, whenever he was writing this, he didn't start by like saying, all right, chapter one, verse one. You know, I, he, didn't, he didn't write this in chapters and verses. When James wrote this, he wrote this as a letter to, to a group of people. All right, it's, it's one letter and it has, it's completely cohesive. It, it completely works together. At, at, just in this passage of scripture that we're looking at today, like it points back to, to chapter 3, it points back to chapter 2, it points back to chapter 1. It works, it all works together. It's all um, uh, cohesive. And so James says, um, as an example, look at the prophets. And, and he's writing a letter to, to, to Jewish people. So they understood about the prophets. Now we are Baptists. All right, we... Um, we maybe don't know as much about the prophets. And I'm not saying that, 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 that we don't read the Old Testament, because here at Freedom, we try to, to read the Old Testament. We try to teach the, whole, the, the Old Testament as well. And, um, but, but I just know that there are people in this room who you haven't read the Old Testament, the whole, the whole thing. There, there's some of you in here who maybe you haven't read outside of Psalms, Proverbs, and Genesis. There's some of y'all that maybe hadn't read the Old Testament at all. And so maybe we don't exactly understand what, what he says whenever he says, uh, look, at, look at the prophets. But, but here's, what you need to get, here's what you need to know about the prophets. God spoke to the prophets, told them to tell uh, the people something, or told them to tell the king something, and they would, they would go out and tell them. And most of the time it was like, hey, God doesn't like what you're doing. And so, of course, that wasn't received well. A lot of times the, the prophets faced rejection. They, they, they faced being outcast by society. They faced um, threats on their life. The, the prophets went through a lot of adversity, and yet they remained, they remained steadfast. They, they, they remained patient with the Lord. They waited on the Lord. And then he says, look at Job. Now, many of us know the story of Job, but just let me give you the brief overview of that. Job was a very uh, godly man, and he was very rich as well. He had lots of livestock. He had lots of servants. He had lots of stuff, and he even had like, a, a, like you know, it, it's always like that one family. They, they've got everything, and then like they've got the perfect amount of kids, uh, and they've just got 
perfect, picture-perfect family. Well, he's got that picture-perfect family. Well, seven sons and three daughters. So, like, a lot of, a lot of kids, okay? And so, in one day, um, with God's permission, the devil comes down and he takes all of it away from Job. All of his livestock was either stolen or killed. All of his servants were either stolen or killed. And all of his children were meeting together and having a meal in one house. And, and, and the house collapsed and they all died. All right? Now we think about our worst days. And I remember as a child, my family, we moved around a lot. Because my dad worked in, in, in textiles and, and there was always a plant shutting down. There was always um, uh, people getting laid off. And, and it felt like we never stayed anywhere for very long. And, and it, was, it was terrible when my dad would come in and be like, I've lost my job. We're going to have to move. And, and that rocked me as a child. Like, I can't imagine what that did to him. But, like, he was just losing his job. Now, imagine, like, you losing your job, and on that same day, some, someone coming to you saying, oh, yeah, and your, your child died. Like, the grief that he must have felt. Like, not just one child, but ten of them. Like, Job's world has been completely shaken. And on top of that, the devil strikes him with, with sores and boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. So he can't even like grieve properly because he's constantly scratching these, these open sores on his body. He, he just, it, everything's been taken from him. His health, his children, all of his stuff. And what does he say? He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He says, should I just take the good stuff from God and reject the bad? No, I've got to take it all. Do you know why the prophets... And do you know why Job were able to be patient, to be steadfast in their faith? It's because they had established their hearts. They were firmly and permanently planted their faith and their trust and their hope and their security and everything that they could possibly want was in Jesus, was in God, and no place else. It didn't, it didn't matter to Job. Like, sure, it was a terrible day that he lost all of his stuff and lost his children. And I'm sure that he was completely distraught over that. But his hope and his security was found in God. And, and so James says, this is your example. Look at the prophets. They faced all kinds of adversity. Look at Job. He had the worst day ever. But yet they remained faithful. They remained steadfast. They remained patient because their hearts were established. See, I think that a lot of us out here, we don't have to, we don't have to look too far to see greener grass. Am I right? Like we don't have to look too far to see uh, they've got it better than I do. If I could only get to that, if I could only do this. But James lets us know that, that, that chasing after those things is useless. Instead, we need to be patient. Instead of grumbling against them, being mad that they've got that and we don't, being upset with them, instead of envying over the, we need to just be patient. Establish our hearts. Grow towards Christ. That's really the, the, the one point that I want you to get above anything else. Be, be patient. Wait, wait on the Lord. And, and establish your heart. Like, are, are you loosely planted 
here at church? Like, do you just show up? Do you, do you just show up and serve? Or, is, or is, is, God, is Jesus just a little bit more permanent than that? Have you established your heart? It reminds me a little of Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. It, reminds, like, it seems like be patient, all right? Establish your heart. Seek first God's kingdom and then, and then wait on the Lord. Does that mean that we're going to get rich? No. Does that mean that your life that's just been crappy for, for a while like, is, is just suddenly going to get better? No. Does that mean that, that, that the cancer is going to go away? No. No, but, but we need to be patient. Establish our hearts. All right? Grow towards Christ. Now look, in this room this morning, there are two types of people. One, you've, you've established your heart and you're growing towards Christ. You're a Christian and you're growing in that. Or two, you haven't established your heart and you aren't growing towards Christ. So if you're here this morning and, you, and, and you're listening, you're like, man, I, 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 need, I need Jesus. And, and look, it's probably, you probably aren't even hearing me talk. You're hearing the Lord speak to you. If you're here this morning and you know that you need to give your life to Christ, in, in just a minute, the, the band's going to come and they're going to play a song and, and you can sit in your seat or you can stand up and, and you, can, you can deal with God. If you want to grab somebody and talk to them, awesome. If you want to grab somebody after the service, me, I'll be somewhere around here and Cliff and Chris and the band, anybody with a name tag on, grab somebody and talk to them. If you're confused by this language, but you, but you know that, that something isn't permanent find somebody let's let's talk about it we would love to explain to you what it means to be a christian what it means to follow christ to establish your hearts but look just take this with you take take this don't chase after these worldly things don't put your hope in your status don't put your hope in your bank account in your job, it's, it will fade away. Establish your hearts in Christ. Be patient. Establish your hearts. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Lord, we, we just say thank you for that. Lord, my prayer this morning uh, is that we would hear from you that, that there, if there are people in here who, uh, who aren't Christians, who, who've never given you, that they've never trusted you with their life, that maybe they've come to church a whole lot, but whenever it comes down to it, they just kind of set it up and tear it down. They've not established their hearts. It's really just a temporary thing for them. God, I, I ask that you, that you would press on their hearts right now. God, that you would where they've hardened their hearts, that you would soften it. And they would hear your, your call. God, for, for those of us in here who, who are Christians, God, it, I ask that, that you would just, that you would grow in us. You would give us just more of a desire to, to know you.
Lord, help us to fall deeper in love with you every day. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, for the way that you love us and for the way that you died for our sins, God. And we, we thank you and pray this all in your name. Amen.